Welcome to Talking with God. My goal is to provide you with insight on how a strong prayer life can help bring you closer to a loving relationship with God. I keep no secrets and share my own struggles for a single purpose. I want to encourage you to pray more often, pray more consistently, and pray in all things. Talking with God is about just that, the conversation that you have with our Heavenly Father. And prayer is not complicated. We make it complicated. There's no special sauce to getting prayer right. So let us shed that stigma that talking with God is complicated. God, our Father, is there to listen to us in all seasons. Whether you are having the best of days, or maybe you are facing some struggles and are angry at the world, or even God himself, he is still there. So join us each week as we talk about life and how you can build an amazing and loving relationship by talking with God. Thanks for joining me here again on Talking with God. I want to say how grateful I am that you're taking time out of your day to spend it here with me. I haven't uploaded an episode in several weeks. Biggest reason behind that is because a part of my computer broke. I didn't want to sacrifice the quality that I bring to this podcast by recording on a phone. I totally could have. I hope you understand that decision. However, I do have that part, and I am back recording episodes. We left off in the uh, Faithful Father series. We had talked about teaching truth and walking the walk, which is living like Christ. And then we talked about how you have to be a watchman for your family. All of those components lead us to the next part, and that's loving and leading. You have to be a compassionate leader in your life, in your family. So to start off, what is leadership? I mean, in general, what do you think leadership is? I like the definition that Forbes provides because it touches on some very important key things that I want to discuss as we lean into this next episode of being a faithful father. Forbes says this, Leadership is a process of social influence, which maximizes the efforts of others towards the achievement of a goal. So that means some important things. First, leadership is both a gift and a skill that can be learned. People are natural leaders, and some can even learn to lead. The social influence factor of that is that you are leading your house. You influence them personally, publicly, and how they interact with people socially. If all of those efforts are towards the achievement of a goal, which should be to have a house that is led by Christ, then you're doing what you're supposed to do. But see, God has a way of raising up people to lead in ways that they never expected as well. Look at David. He was not born into a leadership role like a prince would be. But instead, God chose him for traits that would inspire people and drive them to a more united, God-loving nation. And so here are some key examples of how David had traits different from Saul. God honored those traits, and people responded to those traits. That, in turn, led to a stronger Israel. For instance, Saul summoned his followers. David attracted them. Saul demanded what he needed. David was resourceful. Think back to when David was running from Saul and hiding in caves. Saul acted on impulse. David sought wise and godly counsel before he acted. Saul threatened, 
those close to him, but David protected those close to him. And lastly, Saul was quick to pass blame, while David was quick to take responsibility. And that last part is really important, taking responsibility. That is what this whole series is about. Every married man has a command from God to be leading his family spiritually. We must love our family well and show them compassion. We are to be a vicar of Christ, and we can see how the parent-child relationship is summed up in Ephesians 6, 1-4. And I'm going to summarize that. Essentially, it is that children should honor their parents through obedience, and parents are called to rear their children in the Lord and not to provoke them to anger. Anger does not inspire obedience. So the onus is on us to teach children how God wants us to live, to act, and react to life and its trials. Loving and leading means we should not set out to antagonize our children or frustrate them. And I'll be honest, sometimes I find that really hard. These little humans we love so fervently, they find the best ways to get at our nerves. And sometimes we retaliate in an ineffective and selfishly satisfying manner. Things like mimicking your child in a fussy type of voice after they've done everything but what you asked of them serves no purpose. And to be honest, I'm fairly certain I did it on a whim a few nights ago with Ella. And that was wrong. I mean, you're literally arguing with a smaller version of yourself. John Stott said this, The authority by which the Christian leader leads is not power, but love. Not force but example, not coercion, but reasoned persuasion. Leaders have power, but power is safe only in the hands of those who humble themselves to serve. Now, Jesus is a reason that we have such a clear picture of what leading through love is. He did not mimic his disciples when they messed up and disobeyed. Instead, he reacted in love. He chastised in patience and commanded them in kindness. Those three parts are what makes up a person that is leading their family in love. Those three points are what I'm going to talk about. Leading in love, chastising in patience, and commanding in kindness. So let's start with leading in love. Let's start by taking a moment to count the ways that Jesus could lead us out of anger. Can you do that? I know I can't. Humanity has done some terrible things from the beginning the disobedience in the garden, the act of killing God's son, and even the atrocities we see play out in history over things from skin color to a certain toy that our children want for Christmas. Does anyone remember the Elmo craze, or am I just a boomer now? The things that people did for that toy was ridiculous. And it's easy to forget that that behavior is a learned behavior. Anger. Rage. Hate. And other negative emotions are all things that we have learned and passed on to our children via our actions. The things they see and hear, and how we respond to their questions about those things. Each time we allow that to continue, we are saying that emotions, while unavoidable, are completely okay to express in a negative behavior. Instead, what we should be doing is teaching them that emotions are uncontrollable parts of ourselves. But how we express those emotions, we do have control over. And that starts with us controlling our own reactions. 
We should not look to our children for validation that our parenting of behaviors is working if our own behavior does not emulate how we want them to react. So in a bit, I'll give you three things to focus on that will drive your ability to lead and love as a success. But for now, let's talk about something particularly difficult for most people, chastising impatience. See, discipline is something that must be proportionate to an offense. To discipline out of anger is in fact not discipline at all, but abuse. The form of that discipline is completely up to the parents, and I'm not here to give guidance on that. Some parents spank their children, some have time out, and there are plenty of other methods of discipline that can be both effective and very ineffective. The one thing I will say before someone messages me about spanking is that the Bible does not forbid spanking, nor does it say that it is required. The Bible does not say that spanking is a sin. To be crystal clear, what I am saying is that you cannot use Proverbs 13.24 as a reason to relentlessly wail on your children and the misguided attempt to say corporal punishment is okay. The rod being referred to in the Bible is a figure of discipline in general and a warning that without firm and decisive discipline, a child will become accustomed to getting their way. This can lead to behavior-related issues that are common really equates to a spoiled brat. Um, and to Honestly, to see that, just look at Proverbs 29.15. It says that the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to, shame to his mother. We are designed to learn through correction. Even Jesus learned through suffering. Check out Hebrews 5, 7 and 8. So what does chastising impatience look like? Well, Consider Jesus' reaction when Peter walked on water with him and faltered in Matthew 14, 29. What was Jesus' response? A rebuke was made in love. Peter should have had faith in Christ when the wind distracted him. But when that happened, he took his eyes off of Jesus and he began to waver. He cried out for saving when he started to fall in the water. And Jesus saved him. He could have let Peter drown or angrily demanded his obedience or belittled him, but he did nothing like that. It is easy to just retaliate in a physical manner when you have a stubborn child, but there are non-corporal means of discipline. These non-physical methods take more time, they take more commitment, and more patience than a swift whack on the rear end, but they are very effective. We should devote time to understanding which is best and when or if we should use one or the other. Once we grasp that, we can begin chastising impatience so that our commandments come from a place of kindness and not anger. So, let's move on to commanding and kindness. Our children have natural feelings for us, such as love and fear. They love us because of all the goodness we pour into them, and there is fear for the wrath they drum up when disobedient. That fear does not need to be paralyzing, and in fact, it shouldn't. They are our children. Even when they know that they are in trouble, we want them to have comfort in the fact that our commands, our discipline, our reactions are all done out of love for them. When you discipline, do you take the time to tell them why it was wrong? Do you explain better ways of going about things? These talks are important. 
because they allow our children to know that they are loved and being cared for. It allows them to understand that a goal can be accomplished in many ways, very likely within the confines of what is acceptable. When you take the time to show them these things, you are leading them in a positive way, without fear, but with kindness. The greatest leaders are the humble ones. Now, you can get things done through sheer will and brute force, but you have to consider the effects of those kinds of actions. You have to consider the legacy that you leave. Will your children think that dad was a hard man? Or will they think that even though I did lots of stuff, he was patient and loved me and supported me? Now, I'm all about transparency. I fall somewhere in the middle. I'm a work in progress. We are all a work in progress, as long as we want to be. And what I want is my children to know that I love them. I expect them to behave in a manner consistent with the Bible, and that my dreams are that their dreams become a reality. All the stuff that we've talked about so far today, it can't happen unless we are men of integrity. And integrity is the living of your internal life and your external life in parity with one another. So, to give an example, it is easy to put on a Christian front and pretend you are leading a righteous family for God. It happens every day, every Sunday. You'll see families that just so on fire for Jesus. But when they go home, it's a train wreck. Living that life at home, away from the eyes of public, is harder if you can manage to do that than you can lead your family in love. You'll be capable of chastising your children in patience and commanding your family in kindness. But that only happens if you stay focused on God on what he is, and the work that Christ commands for you. The moment you don't, your leadership falters like Peter on the water. So I want to fulfill my promise. I want to wrap up this with the three things that I hope will help you become a successful and compassionate leader in your home. The first is to just take time and look at the impact that your uncontrolled emotions have on your home. You have to understand that intense emotions are not all bad. They make our lives exciting and they create vibrant memories. But take stock of how your uncontrolled emotions affect your day-to-day -day life. Do they cause conflict with your spouse or your children? Do they cause issues at work? Do they lead to physical outbursts? Gain a perspective so you can identify opportunities for improvement. And then do this next thing. Keep a mood journal. And now I know that sounds silly, but my friend, I love you. You're wrong. I'm a huge fan of journaling because it is a view of progress. I keep a prayer journal for that very reason. It lets me see how God moves in the things I pray for. For your mood journal, you'll be able to identify why something triggered an outburst from you. You can go back and look at that entry and find a way to mitigate a future outburst by identifying ways that you could have responded better. It can be on paper or digital. The media itself is not important. It's about being consistent. It's about having the integrity that we just touched on. Lastly, learn to accept that your emotions are yours. Not just the good ones. All of them. Accept all of your emotions. 
not accepting your emotions and downplaying them are going to get you nowhere. When you accept that you are imperfect and will make mistakes, you can begin looking at how to regulate your reactions better. You don't need to repress your emotions. That's not what I'm talking about. But you can find ways to funnel them into effective methods of expression. For instance, I clean the house when I get angry. Now, (laughs) I'll be honest. Truth be told, I think my wife intentionally sometimes will get me angry and riled up just for that purpose. If she gets me mad to the point where I just walk away because I know that I need to take a breather because otherwise I'm going to say something that's going to be more caustic and tear down our relationship, I'll just walk away and start cleaning. So I have this like little image in my head that when I do, she's like, I got him to clean the house. Now that not be the case, and I am kind of trying to put a light spin on this, but it is important that you do find ways to take those emotions and funnel them into effective methods of expression. So to wrap this up, I just want to say that our greatest leader, Jesus, he didn't have to save humanity, right? He didn't need to go be beaten. He didn't have to be murdered, but he offered himself up as a permanent sacrifice for our sinful nature. He bore ridicule with integrity and led his disciples in love when he was unjustly arrested. Those disciples, when they stumbled, he chastised them in patience. And when the time came, his commandments to spread the gospel were done in kindness. That is the key to why Christ is so effective in how he leads us then and today. All that said, I do have one question for you. Will you pray with me? Father, help us be better fathers. Parenting is one of those things that is so difficult, and yet it's the most rewarding role that we get to experience here on earth. And you know that better than anyone. It's full of joy and pride and elation. It's also full of fear and worry and doubt. Parenting is chock full of responsibilities that can seem overwhelming and Our emotions can often take a back seat in how we lead our homes. It's my hope that we have a clearer vision of how you want us to lead our homes. Let it be with love. Let it be with patience and kindness, with compassion and the grace through your son's work. Help steer our hearts, Father, to lead as Jesus leads, because without that, we are going to founder in our responsibilities. We love you, Father. It is your grace and patience that allows us to come to you with open hearts and blatant imperfections because we know that you're going to accept us as flawed as we are because you have love for us. Your grace and your kindness and your compassion is boundless and there's no way we could ever pay that redebt. Thank you, Father, for everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for taking time out of your day to spend with us. Can I ask a small favor? Okay, well, maybe it's a couple, but they are really important. First, can you subscribe to us? Second, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, can you give us a rating and let us know how we're doing? That helps our podcast get discovered. And if I'm honest, it makes us feel good too. Even if it's just a one star out of five, it's crucial feedback so that we can improve. 
One last thing, can you share this with your family or friends? We're on all major podcast platforms, and even if it's just two people, maybe your whole Facebook or Twitter, whatever you're comfortable with, we're happy to have that. It would mean the world to us, because every little bit helps us get discovered and allows us to share God's message to the world. We hope that by sharing this prayer with you, that you are encouraged to pray more often and more comfortably. And most importantly, your relationship with God grows in talking with Him. If you'd like to share a prayer, check out the link below and contact us. We love you and hope that you visit us again next week.